If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out. This week on The Bioneers. So if we are going to address these issues around climate change, food, health, each other, we have to engage in a practice that acknowledges our deep connection and our relationship with each other. Race, class, and religion can divide us. How to heal the divides. Join us for Circles of Concern, this week on The Bioneers. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop. Mary's Gone Crackers, inspired by a conscious approach to eating, organic, gluten-free, and non-GMO products since 2004 at marysgonecrackers.com. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you. In nature, the edges where diverse ecosystems meet are the source of greatest fertility and novelty. The more diversity, the more stability, innovation, and resilience. The same is true in societies. In places where many different peoples interact in everyday life, it's been shown to be better for the economy and the environment. Yet we live in a world where in most places, most people remain quite segregated, even in cosmopolitan cities. Why? Do we innately fear the other, whoever the other may be? Is this just the way things are? Or is something else going on? One question we might ask is, who benefits from separation and fear of the other? It's a question that could hardly be more important in a culturally diverse world where seismic demographic shifts are happening before our eyes. At the same time, inequality is reaching historic proportions. In this program, we explore who benefits from the process called othering and how society benefits when instead we celebrate our interconnection and our diversity with change makers and professors John A. Powell and Manuel Pastor. This is Circles of Concern, the secret sauce of social movements. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. This is actually a very difficult, interesting, challenging time. We're in the midst of a paradigm shift. The paradigm is going to shift, and which way it shifts in part depends on what we collectively do and don't do. John A. Powell is a nationally respected voice on race and what he calls the othering process that creates social divides. He leads UC Berkeley's Haas Diversity Research Center and holds the Robert D. Haas Chancellor's Chair in Equity and Inclusion. He's on the faculty of the UC Berkeley School of Law and has closely studied the links between racism and corporate power. He's the author of Racing to Justice. We've had capitalism in this country and West for a long time. But in, since the 1970s, there's been an explosion of inequality, 
There's been an explosion of redesigning systems that concentrate wealth. There's been an explosion of retrenchment in terms of issues related to civil rights, voting rights. There's been a celebration of our separation and not our connectivity. How did that happen? What's propelling that? A lot of people have talked about growing inequality. A lot of people talked about corporate greed, but we don't understand what's driving it. Is it just greed? I don't think so. I think it's profound anxiety. There are people, in fact, they're not people, they're corporations and, and entities telling us we should be afraid of the other, whoever the other might be. And the other might be a Native American, the other might be a Muslim, the other might be a black person, the other might be an immigrant. And they're constantly sending messages that the other is dangerous, the other is threatening us. And they use this anxiety to attack government, to extend what Neil McLean calls disaster capitalism. Now, in doing that, they not only hurt black people, Latinos, poor whites, all of us, they hurt the environment because they create a regime in which we can't regulate those big things called corporations. And they dominate our lives and they celebrate and institutionalize our separation. John Powell has long researched how issues of identity in the U.S. have been used to divide and conquer in ways that benefit corporations and economic elites. He says the persistent wedge has been race. In fact, he says, race is a biological fiction, but a very real social construct, including the notion of whiteness. Our identities are socially constructed constantly. How is it being constructed? The white identity that you inherit right now, most of you who are white, is new. It's not 100 years old. It's not 75 years old. It started in the 1940s. We got a new white identity in this country in mass, not one by one, not people eating dinner at each other's house, not having intercultural experiences. It was largely driven by the suburbs. Because before the 1940s, you had Italian-Americans, you had Irish-Americans, you had Polish-Americans. You didn't have marriage much between those groups. You didn't have those groups going to school together. You didn't have those schools reading the same newspaper. You didn't have those groups going to the same churches. They were distinct ethnic identities. And that almost all went away within 10 years. And we got a new identity. We call it white. And when I talk about whiteness, I'm not talking about people who are light-skinned from Europe. White identity as constructed in the United States is a social-political space that's highly exclusive, that's highly dominating, that's highly separate. That's what white identity is. White identity was organized around the ability to be separate, specifically from blacks and other non-whites. That's why the civil rights movement was so threatening, because it was saying, all of a sudden, you can't be in control of everything. You can't be in a school by yourselves. What the right wing figured out is they saw this growing anxiety, especially in the South, when whites were going crazy about the integration of schools and about incorporating blacks into the political community. And they started trading on that, strategically using anxiety of particularly conservative whites to actually promote neoliberalism. John Powell says that behind the curtain, it's the corporate agenda of neoliberalism that's driving this racial anxiety, 
One of its aims is deregulation, which in practice means getting rid of controls on corporate behavior and profits. Think of environmental protections, minimum wage laws, unions, or equal pay for women. Often race is used as the wedge. It's framed with charged code words such as states' rights, forced busing, illegal aliens, inner-city rioters, or welfare queens. But the real driver, says Powell, is corporate economic interests. The formidable challenge today is that demographics are changing dramatically and shuffling the political deck. According to academic and activist Manuel Pastor, the other is gaining. Pastor is director of the Program for Environmental and Regional Equity at the University of Southern California and co-directs the university's Center for the Study of Immigration Integration. He's a professor of sociology, American studies, and ethnic studies at USC. America is changing. And it's now projected that by the year 2042-2043 that the United States will be a so-called majority minority, or as I like to think of it, all minority all the time, uh, (laughs) country. Uh, California crossed that threshold some time ago. And when people see that demographic change going on, they tend to think that what must be driving it is immigration. That's certainly what drove it in the past. But that is no longer the case. Immigration into the country has slowed down dramatically. In fact, net migration from Mexico over the last three years has been zero. And what's actually driving the change now is the change in the youth population. For the last 10 years, what happened to, for example, the number of young whites? It fell, the number of young whites in the country, by 4.3 million. And at the same time, number of young African-Americans fell slightly. Some of that's re-identification into the multiracial category. The number of young Latinos in the country grew by 4.8 million. The number of young Asian Pacific Islanders by 800,000. That's the next America. One fact that grabbed Pastor's attention was the changing nature of how U.S. Latinos identify racially on the census. The Census Bureau asked people to mark their race, and then whether they are Hispanic or non-Hispanic. In 1990, about 42% of Latinos marked other rather than marking white or black or Asian. And so the census said, we need to figure this out. They started looking at the individual answers people would write down. And it turned out, and I think this might have been like my cousin, there would be an answer for somebody who marked other, and then they would write in, Chicano! <laughs> with like three exclamation marks, right? So, so the census in their, in their wisdom decided that what they would do is to uh, flip the question. So in 2000, for the first time, they asked you first whether you were Hispanic, non-Hispanic, and then what race you were, thinking that this way Latinos would get it out of their system, and they would successfully mark white, which is what the census wanted. Well, in the year 2000, more Latinos than ever marked other. In 2010, it actually changed. And the reason why, you probably didn't notice, if you look at the question, it says first, are you Hispanic, non-Hispanic? Hispanic is not a race. And despite that, 45% of Latinos ignored the directions and marked other. And I think that this poses a significant threat to the idea of what is an American identity. The question of identity plays a central political role as inequality drives Americans further apart from one another, both physically and economically. John Powell. The country's becoming more diverse racially and ethnically, except for the Tea Party stronghold. Those communities are becoming more white. It's not a natural phenomenon. 
they're doing something. They're working. It's a lot of work to keep a community more white as the country's becoming more non-white. And my guess would be that most of us live in relatively segregated communities. The most of us who have children send our children to relatively segregated schools. That most workplaces are relatively segregated and hierarchical. So as you go up to the top of the food chain, you're more likely to get, in this country, you're more likely to get men, you're more likely to get whites. And that's despite the fact that virtually all of us, not everyone in the United States, but almost everyone in this room would say, we actually promote, embrace the idea of equality and fairness and inclusion. So how is it that we have these ideas, but the practice of those ideas don't happen? So part of it is the way structures and systems behave, and who designed those structures and systems. John Powell says that in order to overcome our separation, we need to recognize and celebrate our interdependence. It all starts with how we design what he calls our circle of concern. Who's inside the circle of concern and who's not? And what's the design of our society's circle of concern now? When we take the circle of concern and put not people, not life, not the earth at the middle, but put corporations in the middle of that concern, if that becomes our dominant concern, then all life forms are pushed outside the circle. And I think that's the challenge that we face today. But again, the engine that drives that is the fear of the other. So if we are going to address these issues around climate change, food, health, each other, we have to not only think about how we're related, we have to structure our societies, we have to structure our policies, we have to tell our stories, we have to engage in a practice that acknowledges our deep connection and our relationship with each other. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we may have all come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. Given the magnitude of today's crises, we need to start acting as if we're in the same boat. And being in the same boat can be a very good thing. Manuel Pastor points to extensive research showing how social separation and extreme income inequality are actually bad for everyone's economic and environmental health. Think of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Letting the Lower Ninth Ward, black and poor, be vulnerable to a storm made the whole city vulnerable. And when communities of color refuse to be dumping grounds for toxic pollution, companies are forced to figure out how to clean up their act. Other research shows that high levels of economic inequality, very high levels of racial segregation, and very disparate conditions between city and suburbs are big drags on economic growth. Power. Manuel Pastor says that's what determines who's in the circle of concern. One path to power is social movements. Pastor says there are proven ways social movements succeed, a kind of secret sauce of social change. On the fundamental side, movements are all about a vision and a frame. Van Jones, an early attendee at Bioneers, reminds us that Martin Luther King did not go to the steps of the Lincoln uh, Monument and declare, I have an issue. <laughs> Which too many of us do, right? Instead, he declared, I have a dream. 
So movements are about a dream, about a vision, about a narrative that's deeply rooted in values, but it helps to frame people's understanding. Movements have to have an authentic base in key organizing and real constituencies that face challenges and issues. So a lot of times people will say they've got a movement when really all they have is a Twitter handle. So what we need to look for is movements that are actually engaging an authentic base and are developing leaders at that base. One dramatically important movement in the last couple of years has been the dreamers. And imagine that, a ragtag group of people, young people, who quote unquote have no right to be in the country, somehow standing up for their rights as human beings and being able to force the president into deferred action for childhood adjustment and essentially force the president into administrative relief. How did they do it? How did they do it? They developed a story about them being dreamers and wanting to contribute to the United States. They rooted themselves deeply in the values that appeal to many different people, but they also had a strategy to shift the balance of power. They challenged not only Republicans in the Congress, but the president himself by threatening to occupy his campaign offices in 2012. That's how change happens. Manuel Pastor says the Dreamer movement understood that the best way to be safe was not by hiding. Instead, they declared themselves as undocumented and faced the consequences. They borrowed some pages from the playbook of the successful LGBTQ social movement for gay rights. They came out. Pastor spoke with us at a Bioneers conference. And so these young folks, after declaring they're undocumented, have been occupying congressional offices, et cetera. They managed to force the president to do deferred action for childhood adjustment, which is a program which has given a two-year stay. It'll probably be renewed. So they folk young people who would have been deported are instead able to enroll in this program, be able then to access driver's licenses, et cetera, and be able to contribute really to the economy of the United States. That's a redistribution of opportunity. But interestingly, it's a redistribution of opportunity, which has made sure that we're more able to utilize the talents of these young people. And so it's really contributing to the prosperity of everyone. That's the best kind of redistribution that goes on. Pastor says other ingredients of the secret sauce of successful social movements include being committed for the long haul, as well as to an inside-outside strategy with governments, champions press from both inside and outside the system. And because social movements are about redistributing opportunities and resources, it's imperative to demonstrate how doing so will make everyone better off. That means you've got to have a viable economic model. It also means you better have your facts right. It is increasingly important to have research be backing up what we're talking about. One of the things that led the living wage campaigns to be so successful in the United States is that each one did a significant amount of research in the municipality first to show why a living wage would be good for low-income people, why it wouldn't bust the budget of the local municipality, and why it wouldn't cause unemployment. A similar thing is going on with the research being produced about the minimum wage and a number of other things. Research is incredibly important. Pastor and his colleagues have designed a unique research model that blends meticulous academic research with applied action. They work directly with social movement organizations to identify an issue in need of solid research. Then they check in midway with the groups to ensure their focus still makes sense, and they co-present the findings with the organizations themselves. I 
tend to think that the most rigorous work I do is actually this work that will actually help to change the world. And it's rigorous because you know people are going to actually use it. They're going to present it before a city council or before a state legislature or before the Office of Immigration Statistics to try to change things. And when you know that that's what's at stake, you want to make sure you're right. We've done work with environmental justice organizations, helping to create a tool to document those communities that are overexposed and socially vulnerable. And that work with these environmental justice organizations has led in part to a state law in the state of California, SB 535, which is taking 25% of the revenues from the cap and trade system and putting them into communities that are environmentally overexposed and socially vulnerable to facilitate their adjustment to uh, climate change. What group in California do you think is most concerned about the environment, most worried about climate change, most wanting the state to do even more to sustain the fight against global warming? Latinos. We traditionally, when we thought of environmentalists, we thought of white people with Birkenstocks, right? I see you, right? But when you look at the polling data for the last 10 years, Latinos are more concerned about the environment than white voters in the United States, but I think California by about 12 percentage points. African Americans and Asian Pacific Islanders as well, what happens in the process of being part of a movement is that you develop a very different concept of who you are, the empathy for others, your concern for the planet, etc., and you begin to develop a different kind of leadership as well. Leadership today usually means power over, but new and very different leadership models are emerging that instead reflect power with and power to. Pastor uses a leadership metaphor he learned from an organizer from Mexico, the game of chess versus the jigsaw puzzle. And what he said is that in chess, there's only two different colors, usually black and white. In the jigsaw puzzle, there are many different colors, and indeed a single piece can be multi-hued. In chess, some pieces are far more powerful than others. You are always bummed out when you lose your queen, particularly to a pawn. <laughs> in the jigsaw puzzle, every piece is important. And you know that sense of frustration when you get to the end and one or two are missing. And you know it's your kids, right? <laughs> in chess, you literally get ahead by knocking somebody off their territory. You gentrify them. In the jigsaw puzzle, you get ahead by fitting the pieces together so seamlessly that you don't know where one ends and another begins. In chess, the object is to win. In the jigsaw puzzle, the object is to complete the tapestry. We have been playing way too much chess and not enough jigsaw puzzle. If we're going to build a movement for justice, for the planet, for the next generation, start playing some jigsaw. Thank you. We need a beloved community. We need a community where, as Cornel West says, justice is the public face of love. We talk about a caring economy where we actually have tax breaks for caring for your children or your elderly parents. Where we actually make it untenable to pollute the earth. 
where we recognize our interbeing, where we create structures that actually support life. So it's not just an idea, it's a design. How do we actually make this real in our lives? My father's a Christian minister. He's 94 years old. And one day I was kind of you know, down with all the heavy stuff we have to do. And uh, he said, what's up, John? And I said, well, I feel a little down because there's so many things on my shoulder. There's so much need on the planet. There's so much that I have to do, and I don't feel like I can do it by myself. And he said, you're not by yourself. And for him, he said, God is with you. I'm not a big theist, but I knew what he was saying, that the universe is conspiring with us, that we're conspiring with each other. And I think if we do that well, we not only can save ourselves, we can learn to practice our connection and our love. Thank you. John A. Powell and Manuel Pastor. Circles of Concern, the secret sauce of social movements. can see and hear more from John Powell and Manuel Pastor or explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive Producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior Producer, Neil Harvey. Managing Producer, Stephanie Welch. Station Relations, Ana Iglesias. Interview Recording Engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at SoundsTrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0615. Support for the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms and Mary's Gone Crackers.